This is your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan, and you are listening to Season 5 of the Floor Rejects podcast, The Isle of Artemisia. Welcome back to the Floor Rejects podcast. If you missed last week, we covered a chapter in which Barrett tried to follow Anaxos into the forest, follow him when he was doing some some reconnaissance, and uh, he ended up getting himself lost and ended up getting himself found, sort of. He found his own way back, and after that, Anaxos let him know that he could call him X. Um, and then there was a scene in which Barrett kind of spies on Anaxos and watches him take a little ocean shower, I guess you could say. Um, and that's kind of where we left off with that chapter. There wasn't anything particularly uh, difficult or crazy that happened other than Barrett getting lost. He did discover that the animals on the island uh, also suffer from the same glowing green eyes as the humans. We can assume that that's because they eat the same plant. Um, so that means there's 100-year-old deer running around this forest. It is what it is. Uh, But let's get into chapter 10 of our story and then we can talk about it after. Okay, bye. Chapter 10, follower. We must go, Anaxos says, his entire demeanor tense. Lead the way, Barrett says, not about to let his weariness get in the way of saving his friends. Silently, he follows Anaxos out of the hut, observing as the little green dots float out to sea for the night. Barrett wondered if they would catch any unfortunate people. People who were probably going to be blindly unaware as the others boarded their boat, crept into their cabin, and stole them away into the night. He shakes off this feeling and carefully begins the arduous task of creeping through the woods, careful not to make any sound, but more careful to keep Anaxos in sight as they made their way this time. The deeper they drew into the dark, oppressive forest, the more fearful Barrett grew. He was anxious, and the farther they went, the more the dread coiled in his stomach like a snake about to strike. He was fast growing worried that they were too late, because he didn't hear them like he had the night before. But his fear dissolved as he heard a series of weak cries bounce along the forest floor towards him. This time Daniel yelled out, but his voice sounded hoarse, weak, and scared. He cried out for help, and as they drew closer to the voice, he cried out for Crystal. And finally, he yelled Barrett's name, his voice choked by a sob. Barrett's resolve is renewed, and he forges ahead, easily keeping pace with Anaxos as his eyes adjusted to the dark and adrenaline took over. He watched the large man's back in front of him shimmy its way through trees and underbrush, and he was surprised at just how nimble he was. They made no sound as the light grew in the distance, and that light gave way to another, and another, and another, until the two of them crouched at the edge of a circle of old, mismatched lanterns strung up in the trees. Barrett can see now where the others live, and to his horror, he can see the two others there, standing over what appeared to be crude grates in the ground. Now he could hear all of them in earnest. Daniel was still shouting weakly. Nick's voice would pipe in every now and then and shush him, urging him to keep quiet or else he would get them all killed. And Crystal, she wept quietly. There appeared to be four grates in the ground from what Barrett could see, but around them were a dozen or more huts, all scattered in no discernible pattern. These huts, however, were not made up of simple leaves, grass, and sticks, 
but appeared to be entire parts of boats hauled up onto the island and rigged to create hideous, terrifying-looking structures. They stuck up out of the earth like so many dagged teeth, just as Barrett got this lay of the land and access turns to him. Be silent. Stay here. I will get your friends, he says, and without another word, he stands and runs towards the man standing guard. He is quiet and fast and leaps up, striking one hard in the back with his knee. The man falls, making only a pained grunt as an axo sinks down on top of him, knocking him out cold. The other guard springs into action, screaming at the top of his lungs and reaching behind him. In the dimness of the lantern, a glint of a knife can be seen. Barrett clamps his hands over his mouth to keep from yelling to try and help. Anaxos blocks the knife, knocking it to the ground with a metallic ping as it bounces away. Then Anaxos draws his own knife, pulling it out and wielding it at the other, who circles him aggressively, watching him intently. The other goes for his knife, reaching for it as Anaxos yells, and Barrett can tell that he doesn't want to hurt the man, but would rather just take the people in the holes without a fight. That was not an option. The other lunges for the knife, and as he hits the ground, Anaxos right on top of him, they scuffle. Anaxos lands punch after punch to the man's sides and arms, but unfortunately the other was too strong, and he overcomes the strikes to his body and springs back up. Anaxos is now at a disadvantage on the ground. The other man holds his knife out and begins to slash with abandon at Anaxos, barely missing him as he scrambles away through the dirt. Just before Anaxos can get up to fight, the other lands a slice through his forearm. Anaxos yelps in pain, stumbling. The other takes this moment to stare up into the sky, his eyes glowing like a horrible beacon into the sky. Anaxos' eyes flash, as do the man laying on the ground. The other man was signaling his backup. Barrett knows he had to do something. He can't just leave Anaxos injured, but Anaxos looks to him, the spot where he knew Barrett was hidden, and mouths one word, go. Barrett gets tense, ready to run, to spring into action, but then in a horrible, cruel move, the other man brings his arms up, both hands gripping his knife, and plunges it deep into Anaxos, cutting through muscle and bone in his left shoulder until the hilt of the knife is barely visible. The other laughs as Anaxos screeches in pain, trying and failing to stand, grabbling at the dirt, trying to get up like a wounded animal. He fails over and over, and finally when the other turns, his back to Barrett, he grabs the knife and twists, making Anaxos groan and fall to the ground completely. He lay there, his face twisted in pain, eyes shut, and seems to be waiting for the killing blow. Barrett feels a sudden calm come over himself. He knows what he has to do. This stranger had risked everything for him, and three people he hadn't even met yet, and Barrett wouldn't let him die without a fight. Silently, he steps from the forest, and with footfalls even quieter than Anaxos, he takes off at a sprint, headed dead for the other one posed over Anaxos. Barrett slams into the man, knocking him to the ground, and the both of them are winded. Barrett rolls up and jumps on top of him, straddling him and bearing all of his weight down so that he couldn't get away. Barrett scrambles as the man struggles against him, looking for anything to end this fight, and his sights land on a rock half buried in the soil near them. He leans over and grips the rock, pulling and pulling at it until he loses his balance and topples over, both hands on the rock behind his head. The other man jumps him, straddling him now, knees pinned around his waist. He wraps his hands around Barrett's throat and begins to squeeze. He tightens his grip, his mouth foaming and dripping onto Barrett's face, who scrabbles at the rock above his head, still desperately trying to pull it free from the earth. His vision grows blurry, his eyes getting heavy as the oxygen is cut off from his brain, and as the lights above his head turn into fuzzy orange stars, he's sure that he is done for. But then, mercifully, the rock breaks free. 
He smiles dumbly as he uses his core to power the rock up and over his head, slamming it into the base of the other man's neck. He crumples on top of Barrett, his eyes going wide and then dull as he falls down. Barrett throws him off, his body slowly regaining function as the blood resumes pumping to his head. Good job, Anaxos croaks, laughing weakly from his spot on the ground a few yards away. Help us, Barrett hears from the pit next to him. He leans over the edge and finds Daniel staring up at him. He peeks over the edge of the other two pits, finding Crystal and Nick standing at the bottom of their holes, staring up at him in bewilderment. Guys, I'm going to get you out, Barrett says, and he swings open the first hatch. He pulls Daniel up, who stares at him in amazement. Dude, he says. His tone is loaded with a million different emotions, and Barrett smiles. I know. Get Crystal, Barrett returns, and he goes to Nick's hole, throwing back the grate and sticking an arm down. Nick grabs at him, pulling hard as he climbs, and suddenly the four of them are back together. Nick laughs incredulously. Crystal throws her arms around Barrett, kissing him and laughing, and Daniel whoops up into the air. Their reunion is short-lived, though, as Anaxos groans on the ground. Be right there, X, Barrett says. He grabs one of the guards and drags him feet first into a pit. Then he grabs the other, the one who he had bludgeoned, and pulls him over the top of the other. He wasn't sure if they were dead, and he didn't care at the moment. Guys, we have to go. The others are coming, Barrett says, rushing to Anaxos and pulling him up. He throws the man's uninjured arm over his shoulder as the other hangs limp. Once Barrett gets him up off the ground, Anaxos stands, wobbles for a moment, but is steady after just a second. Come on, I'll get you back to your beach if you can't make it, Barrett promises. No, we cannot go back, Anaxos says, and Barrett looks at him confused. Through his pain, Anaxos tells him they cannot go back to his home, that the others would come looking for them there. I know a place we can go, he finishes, but his face is twisted into pain, and Barrett knows they won't make it as far before Anaxos can't go any further. He was losing blood, a lot of it. Okay, let's go, Barrett says to Anaxos and his friends, who follow without question. At first, Anaxos leads them back the way they had come with Barrett, but quickly they veer sharply to the right and begin to hike up a series of steep, rocky hills. Anaxos seems to be holding on well, but as they crest a particularly steep peak, he falters, falling onto one knee, his body shaking. X, Barrett calls, turning to the man and leaning down to look at him. He was normally so strong and knowledgeable, but now he was weeping, grasping at his broken, bleeding shoulder. Come on. Give me your arm, Barrett says, pulling together all of his resolve to get them where they needed to go. He shoulders Anaxos, barely able to support the both of them, and again the group moves forward, pressing on another series of hills and steep sections of forest until Barrett is sure his body can't take anymore, and then he hears it. He can hear the sound of water running. Get to the water, Anaxos says, and then his head falls down against Barrett's shoulder and his body goes limp. Barrett stumbles, mustering as much strength as possible to get them to the sound. He pushes on, fighting one last hill before finally reaching a small clearing with a river running through it, the sound coming from the water as it rushes down the hill, becoming rapids as it runs away. The water originated from a small cave, and Barrett hurries the lot of them towards it. He manages to get just inside the cave before collapsing, his legs finally giving out under the arduous climb. Here, let us help. Daniel says, gesturing for Nick to help him carry Anaxos the rest of the way, laying the man down on a flat spot near the water. Barrett crawls over to Anaxos, who's regaining consciousness. 
Crystal rushes to the river and without a word cups her hands, bringing water to Anaxos, who sips greedily from her. Daniel, his training from pre-med kicking in, looks around frantically, his face pinched in thought. What, Dee? Merritt asks, standing shakily. We need to cover the wound, he says, still looking around. Then, thinking on the fly, he reaches down and begins to tear at his shirt, strips of fabric coming away until it was cropped above his ribs. Mud! Bring me some mud! he orders, and Barrett rushes over to the river, digging blindly into the earth, his fingers shocked by how icy the water was. He digs into the stinging, freezing mud and pulls up a handful of wet earth. He rushes over to Daniel, who tends to an axos. He slaps handful of mud on the major wound and a little bit on his forearm, and an axos rolls up, grasping at his arm, and Daniel holds him down. Hang in there, buddy. I'm almost done. Daniel says calmly, and he wraps the wound tightly up and over and access his shoulder and under his arm, down his arm, all the way to the cut that marks him. Anaxos hisses in pain, his body shaking from the effort of staying as still as he could. Daniel ties off the makeshift tourniquet. Anaxos moans, and Barrett goes to him, the only person he knew there, and sits next to him. Is it bad? Anaxos asks, and Barrett nods grimly. Anaxos growls. He was obviously not used to being encumbered. Every time he attempts to move, he makes a choked sound of pain, and eventually, with Barrett sitting there keeping him company silently, he slips into unconsciousness, his brow covered in sweat. Bear, Crystal says quietly. Barrett gets up and goes to her place, where she sits outside the mouth of the cave, her blonde hair glowing in the moonlight. I'm so glad you guys are okay, Barrett says as he gets near her, and Daniel and Nick gather next to them. How did you get away? Nick asks quietly. I got caught in a storm after the rest of you were gone, and when the boat sank, he saved me, Barrett explains, gesturing over to Anaxos, who was now curled up on the floor of the cave. And he just saved you for no reason? Crystal asks. Barrett isn't sure how to answer that. He nods after a minute of contemplation. Why didn't he save us? Daniel asks. It's more complicated than you think. Barrett says. Tell us, Nick says, with an edge to his voice. I will, in the morning, but I think we should try and get some rest. I'll take a shift watching out for the others while you guys sleep, Barrett says. The group seems to agree with him, obviously tired from their trek through the forest and the days of horror that they had gone through. They go back into the cave, all of them leaned up against the wall, trying to get comfortable. Barrett posts himself at the mouth of the cave. He stands there, hoping that Anaxos would recover. He also makes a plea to the universe that there was some escape to the horror movie he was living in. The night was slowly coming to a close, and Barrett hoped that when it did, maybe something good would happen to him for the first time in as long as he could remember. He was tired of the world constantly breaking him down, and this tenuous predicament that he was in maybe could somehow lighten up. He was so tired, and his eyes were beginning to close. He was leaned against the wall of the cave, and he knew that he was falling asleep, and there was no way he could fight it. Just as his eyes shut, he hears a rustling in the brush of the forest surrounding their clearing. His eyes snap open, and he watches as a small group of birds hops out and into the water. They splash and flutter, and as the first rays of morning light pierce the sky, Barrett can feel panic setting in, knowing that the others were about to come back to an empty camp and two possibly dead guards. He knew they would be searching, he knew they would be mad, and he knew that the five of them barely stood a chance. All right, what do I like about this chapter? Not a whole lot. 
I don't dislike this chapter at all, but it just feels like it could be better. And I'm gonna tell you, it probably, no, it definitely could be better. And I'm gonna be honest, it's because I just didn't have enough time to write it. I started a new job this week. I've been trying to keep up with that. I had to spend my weekend getting furniture together for an office that is barely put together at all. Um, and above all else, I was really tired and stressed. And that came through in my writing a little bit. I think towards the end when I was getting really tired is when it, it got to me. Barrett's kind of feeling like the world has beaten him down and that nothing could get any better. And while I won't compare my situation here in a relatively comfortable apartment to someone shipwrecked on an island filled with possible murderers, um, I will say I've been feeling a lot of that lately, a lot of that continuous stress, a lot of that continuous universe shitting on me type of thing. And I think it's starting to come across in what I write. I don't really know how to combat that. I don't know how to fight that or make it better. Um, and sometimes people just write what they feel and I don't know if that's gonna color the story or if the story is gonna end up taking a different turn than what I planned for it because my life is taking a different turn than I planned for. But I can tell that the story kind of suffered this week. And I'll be honest, it, it, it did, it suffered this week. I don't think it was a bad chapter. Like I don't think that you wasted your time listening to it because we still got our characters free. We reunited the foursome from the boat. We introduced Anaxos to the rest of them. We endeared him to the group because he helped save them. So I don't think that this was a waste of a chapter or a waste of time. I just think it could have been done better. Um, I think that the fight scene could have been a lot longer. I think it could have been a lot more descriptive. And I think that a lot of the words that repeated themselves, if given enough time, I would have been able to make it better. Some things I do like is specifically the imagery of the knife coming down in both hands, coming down, cutting through muscle and bone. I like that imagery, not because I'm particularly a sadist, but I like that it is very evocative, it's very descriptive, and you can see it in your mind's eye. Just the knife coming down overhead and slicing through an axos. I think that that's very descriptive. I think where we lack description, and maybe we'll get more in the future, is a description of the other's camp, um, a description of what the others look like, because we didn't, we know that they have glowing green eyes, but there wasn't really a description of what the others looked like. Did they look like Anaxos? Did they look like they were from Greece? Did they look like they were from somewhere else? I mean, these people on this island are from shipwrecks or from being stolen off of boats, so they could be from anywhere and from any time. So they could look like anything, and I don't think that I did justice to describing them this week. Um, something I do think that I did well is kind of the description or the the action that the others, not the others, that Crystal, Daniel, Crystal and Daniel mainly take uh, when Anaxos is injured. They immediately jump into their respective areas of, not expertise, but Daniel jumps into his pre-med training and Crystal immediately is like, let me get this person water. She's not in pre-med, she's a psychology major if I'm remembering, or maybe social work. I think it's social work that her major is. But she jumps into caretaking mode. He jumps into caretaking mode. They're taking care of him. And what I will say is I think that I did Nick justice. And I say that 
because there's another plan for Nick. He's not quite as simple as he seems. And I think that the way that he speaks in this chapter gives us a little insight into that. It's not direct, it's not clear or plain, but I do think it gives us a little bit of a, a look into kind of what his actual deal is. If you read the rest of the story and then you kind of come back to it, you, you start to see those signs. So that's what I did like. Um, I've said kind of what I don't like. Do you like, do you like my new chair? If you're listening to this, you can always watch it on YouTube. I got a new desk chair. It was a gift from my Aunt Kim. Hi, Aunt Kim. Thank you for the chair. You know that I love it. I called you and showed it to you. I know you don't listen or watch this, so thanks anyway. Love it. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's pink. It's white. It's everything I wanted. It's so comfortable. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, I can go up and down. Watch this. I can go back. I can leave. You know what? I'm going to do the rest of the podcast like this. It's got a footrest. Watch this. Well, you can't see it, but it's got a footrest. Look at this. I am so comfortable. Oh, I'm kicking the... Look at this. <laughs> the camera's bouncing because I keep kicking it, but I am so comfortable. So let me finish this. Let me finish this episode. Um, something else that I do like would be the way that Barrett springs into action so easily. It's, I like the description that a calm comes over him, that he knows what he has to do. He has to save this person who had saved him, this person who has shown him nothing but kindness when he's having the worst few days of his life. I do like that part of it. Do I think it could have been done better? Yes. Do I think that everything I write could be done better and probably better by someone else? Yes. That's just what being, I don't, I'm gonna cross my hands and pretend that I'm not calling myself an artist, but that's what being an artist is, is just always knowing that you can do better or that somebody else could do it better than you can. Because nobody's the best at their craft except for the one person who is the best at their craft and even somebody else is probably better than them in a different respect. So I am trying not to be too hard on myself knowing that I've been stressed out and having a hard time. Um, but I do think that it came across in my work this week and I wanted to be honest with you guys that I'm not like completely unaware that what I'm writing is colored by what's going on in my life. I know that it is. And I know that you can kind of tell when I've had a good week, when a chapter's really good versus when I've had a bad week, when a chapter is so-so. Um, but there's only so much I can really do about that. You know, it's hold for plane. Did y'all hear those planes? Of course, as soon as I start recording, every plane in the continental United States decides to fly overhead. Can you believe that? I'm, I'm realizing that there's only so much I can do, you know? Like I can't, I can't just put everything in my life away to write, but I also can't just ignore the fact that I wanna write and that I wanna be a writer and that I want to follow my passion. And so, it's hard finding that balance, and I think sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I didn't find that balance this week. I didn't find exactly what I needed to write the best chapter that I could this week. And that's okay because, as I've said a million times before, this is a rough draft. This is not like a final product. Like, it's not, I'm not reading you the chapters of a finished published novel. I'm reading you kind of first drafts. And so I feel like it's okay if sometimes the chapters aren't exactly what they need to be, or they're not exactly 
perfect. They're not polished yet. It's okay that they're a little bit rough and that there's a little bit of a hard edge to some of them and maybe they don't stop exactly how they should or pick up exactly how they should. They're rough drafts, you know? At the end of the day, I'm just a person. I'm just a gamer girl. I'm sitting here in my gamer girl chair. I'm a gamer girl. So that's kind of what's going on with this chapter. I know it's a little all over the place. I know it's a little rough. You're gonna have to give me a little bit of leeway and just kind of bear with me the next couple chapters because I'm having a hard time. I don't know if you've started a new job recently, but it is stressful. It is, I was so calm the night before I started my new job. I was so calm. I was like, I've got this. I'm gonna do great. There's gonna be no problem. Also, it's probably the end of the dissection of that chapter. So if you're just here for that, I'll see you next week. But I was so calm. And then as soon as I started my new job, it was like everything kind of just, all the smarts that I thought I had picked up and all of the skills that I thought I had honed so well, suddenly none of them made any sense to me. None of them, it was like I didn't know anything. And I was doing a job that I had already been doing, if that makes sense. I was doubting every skill I had acquired, and I still am, but I'm getting better about realizing that there's only so much I can do, you know? I'm 20, how old am I? I'm 26 years old, you know? This feels like a therapy session, it really does. Let me see if I can recline any further, can I? Where's my, oh no, I can't. I just, it's been hard, it's been really rough these last few days. And usually what I do is I write half of a chapter on Monday night, half of a chapter on Tuesday night. I'll give it to my partner, he'll proofread it, kind of give it a little bit of a once over, and then I'll read it to you guys on Wednesday, edit it Wednesday night and post it. But I just have been having a really hard time keeping up and I don't wanna lose my schedule of uploading every week. I don't wanna be some sporadic poster, but it's been tough. It's been tough. So if you don't mind bearing with me for the next couple weeks, I would really appreciate it because like, I'm barely showering, you know? I, like I'm so stressed out. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'll be back next week with a chapter. I'll go ahead and give you a teaser. Let me put my foot rest down because I've got a foot rest. Oh my God, and I kick everything over. Jesus Christ. I feel like a gay, if she was a gay girl. Oh my God, I almost broke my chair again. It's so scary when the chair drops. You feel like you're about to die. Um, let me give you a little bit of a teaser for what, let me, let me explain something to you. I had an entire map of where this story was gonna go chapter by chapter by chapter, and I've already deviated from it so much. Like, they were never supposed to run away and escape uh, through the island. They were never supposed to run away to a cave. I'm completely, like, lost the script. The wash scene was supposed to happen in the next chapter, not the not chapter nine. Um, Barrett shouldn't have even explored the island yet. You can tell that I've kind of been rushing through it because I've been rushing through my life and trying to get stuff figured out. Um, 
But I think in the next chapter, Barrett's going to do some exploring on his own. Um, and I'm not going to say what kind of exploring, but I do think he's going to do some, some testing of some waters. We'll, we'll say that. Uh, because he's been getting some funky vibes and he needs some answers. So stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm going to try and make it better than this week's episode. Please bear with me. I'm, I'm just, I'm just tired. I really am. And finding a new job has been stressful. Um, but I'll be back next week, hopefully with more energy, hopefully with more pep in my step, and hopefully with a better chapter for you here on the Floor Rejects podcast.